0: Today's scripture reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter three, verses one to 18. Those who are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good afternoon. Didn't think I'd get that right, did you? I didn't either. What a joy and a privilege it is to be speaking to you again. I haven't had the opportunity uh, since I became ill back in mid-April. Before I share the message that I have for you this afternoon, let me take a moment just to say something about the rest of summer for us as a church. Uh, For the month of August, we're going to continue to meet uh, at 3.30 in the afternoon in person here at Coastal Church for anyone who wishes to attend. Uh, You don't need to register, just uh, come and join us. You're also welcome, of course, to watch the live stream or you can watch the recording of the service later or the following days and such like. And all this month, we're thinking about the good news that we have as Christians, uh, even in the midst of this ongoing worldwide catastrophe of COVID-19. On the first Sunday of September, we'll again be meeting here, but that service will be a special one. We're going to focus that day on the pandemic, and in particular, we're going to focus on all that has been lost. It'll be an opportunity for us to mourn with those who mourn, as Jesus said we should. And then on September the 12th, it will be the time for all of us, if we're able, to come together again at last and to celebrate being a church family once again. Uh, I want to encourage you to put that date in your diary, September the 12th, uh, uh, put that in your calendar. Uh, please be praying for that day and plan to be there when we get to hold our first service at St. Andrews. That's going to be our, our temporary home for the next uh, couple of years. And let me also encourage you to get the word out. Um, there'll be lots of people who you know who, uh, for whom First Baptist Church is their church home. Uh, please get in touch with them. People need an invitation. After 18 months, it's not become our regular habit. And because we've moved to an afternoon time and a different place, although it's very, very close to our old place, uh, people need an invitation. So take the opportunity. Uh, Say, why don't you come with me on the 12th of September? Mm -hmm. Hopefully that will be a great celebration for us as a church. It could be a really special occasion when we can all be together again at last. Uh, That will, of course, be at 1.30. That's just to catch you out. You have to be paying attention. Of course, in the meantime, there's also area gatherings. Uh, So there are gatherings that will be near you wherever you are. Um, And the the details of those will be uh, advertised, of course, in First News. They already have been. And they're available on the website as well. Now, will you just pray with me for a moment? Lord, of course, we want to thank you for preserving us uh, through this extraordinary season, the part that we have gone through already and the part that is yet to come. And we want to bring to you, Lord, the continuing battle against COVID all over the world. We think particularly of Brazil and India, but many, many other places too, where. Uh, the situation is desperate in some places. And we pray, Lord, for your blessing on those who are distributing uh, vaccines. Lord, we're very much looking forward to all being able to gather again as a church family. And we pray, Lord, that you would continue to work among us and to help us to be the people that we need to be, to be your good news in the world in this time of just tremendous sadness. Now, Lord, as we turn our attention to the message that you have for us this afternoon, we ask that you would speak to each of us. Uh, Help us to hear you and respond to the word that you have for us in faith and obedience as as, uh, was prayed before. And we ask all these things in the name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I wonder whether you've uh, had anybody uh, over for dinner yet, whether you've started doing that. Um, We had uh, some friends come over uh, recently, um, and Helen and I were saying to each other, we cannot remember how long it is since the last time we did that. Well, the friends were new friends. Uh, Ben uh, and Krista and their children, Jacob, Ella, and Audrey, came over. And because we don't know each other that well, we're just new friends, we were uh, telling lots and lots of stories. And I realized, of course, that when we tell stories, it's not so much... The story we're telling, the anecdote itself, as it is the meaning that that story has for us, that we want to communicate to another person. Uh, So I have to tell you that uh, today's message is not really a sermon. What I want to do today is share some testimony about what happened to me back in April, and in particular what that means for me and hopefully Uh, for you too over the past 18 months we've all become very aware of death and this recent heat wave that we've gone through it's been shocking we heard there were 815 sudden deaths and the BC coroner attributes 570 of those to the extreme heat more than 300 people died in one day alone sudden deaths that was the day when lytton hit that um, all-time high temperature for canada june the 29th but of course the pandemic absolutely dwarfs that with more than 1770 deaths from covid just in british columbia over 26 and in canada and an appalling million people worldwide who've died. And death is all around us and it has been these last 18 months. But our culture has a false view of life and death. In April, I wasn't feeling very well. I was feeling pretty tired short of energy. And um, I felt a bit of discomfort in my chest as well. And so I I called my uh, GP. I couldn't actually get through to my GP, but after a week, somebody else called me back, uh, a locum um, called me back, and I described my symptoms to them. And they said, um, I think you should go to the emergency room. And Helen was out at the time with the car. So I said, well, can I wait until my wife comes back? And they said, no, I think you should go straight to the emergency room. So I called a taxi and I went straight to the emergency room. And you know how when you get to the emergency room, you usually have to wait sometimes a considerable amount of time? Well, I knew something was not going well because I went straight through. (laughs) And they took my blood pressure and took me straight through. And my blood pressure was, well, I think the only word for it is astronomical, how high it was. I had no previous clue about this. Um, And so they spent the rest of that uh, afternoon and evening trying to bring that down. Um, And in the middle of the night, I'd been moved from one uh, bit of an emergency room to another bit of the emergency room. And they they moved me again to a ward about three o'clock in the morning. And um, as I was moved to that ward, uh, the nurse who was kind of receiving me and pointing me in the direction of a bed, um, she said something which I'm fairly sure she shouldn't have said. She said, I can't understand how you haven't had a massive cardiac event. (laughs) Not necessarily, uh, that's not gonna be in any manual about medical care, right? How you should do that. Both nights, that night and then the next night, because I, I should say, to tell you more of the story, I, I did get uh, sent home from hospital the next day. They brought it down sufficiently, but they also told me that I should take my blood pressure, and if it went over a certain amount, I should come straight back in. Well, the first time I took it, it was 20 points above that, so I came straight back in. And um, so I was in for two nights, in fact. And both of those nights, I was, I was very conscious that it was touch and go, whether I was going to live or die. In a letter to Christians in the city of Philippi, uh, Paul, uh, one of the writers of the New Testament, talks about a, a similar situation with a man called Epaph- Epaphroditus. He says Apaphroditus longs for all of you and is distressed because you you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him. And that was my experience those nights. God had mercy on me. A little bit earlier in that letter where Paul mentions Epaphroditus, he talks about himself. When he wrote that letter, he was in a Roman prison under arrest with a very real possibility that he would soon be executed. And he writes, I hope that I will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I'll continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. For me, those nights, I was very conscious of how each of our lives are literally in God's hands. We don't have a right to life. I know we talk about that and we say that to each other a lot, but it's not true. We don't have a right to life. It is a gift from God. The Bible says he himself gives everyone life and breath. Well, eventually I came to the point, like Paul, where I was convinced that I wasn't going to die. Because, and only because, the Lord still had work for me to do. Specifically, my sense was of the Lord calling me to preach the good news. That's why I was going to remain in the body. But even so, the the sense that our lives are not ours by right, that it is God's absolute right to let us live or die, that sense was very strong, very clear for me. More than that, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. That, in other words, because of our sin, we deserve to die. And we don't at all take this seriously, do we? Even in the church, I think, we don't take that seriously enough. I didn't take it seriously enough. We think, if we're good, oh, well, we'll go to heaven. I mean, God's nice, isn't he? You know, he wouldn't, he wouldn't exclude anyone from heaven. But, of course, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that all of us deserve to die. Why? Because of sin. sin, Sin are the things that we do, the things that we think, the things that we say. And, of course, all of the good things that we don't do, that we neglect to do, that we neglect to say. And we say, well, I'm not that bad. Possibly deserve to die. You know, I'm not a bank robber, I'm not a drug dealer, haven't murdered anyone. What we're saying is our relative merits compared to other people. You know, we're better than they are. That's what we're saying when we say that. But it turns out that the Bible says that's not the point. The problem we have, you see, is God. God is holy. Our problem is not so much that we are not really the good people we like to think we are. Our problem is that God is holy. In the Old Testament book of Exodus, uh, which is, of course, the story of the people of Israel leaving slavery in Egypt and, and heading towards the promised land. At one point in the book, all of the people of Israel are gathered on a plain in front of Mount Sinai. And Moses, the leader of the people, goes up the mountain to speak with God. Now, just pause for a minute there. Moses, at this point, was 80 years old. And he climbs the equivalent of one of the North Shore Mountains. And when he gets to the top, he meets with God. And God says, as soon as he gets there, he says, go back down. (laughs) What must Moses have thought of that? Why? In case anyone sets foot on the mountain. Moses is to go straight back down the mountain. He's to talk to the people in case any of them accidentally was to set foot on the mountain. Because God's presence, even though it's at the top of the mountain, God's presence is enough. His presence of his holiness is enough that they will die if they set foot on the mountain. God's holiness, you see, it's like the sun. And think about that heat wave. Think about the power of the sun. We're 150 million kilometers away from the sun, and it still has that kind of power. God's holiness is like standing on the surface, not that you can. That's what God's holiness is like. Utterly incandescent. You see, unholy people like you and I, we cannot come into the presence of a holy God. If we do, we will die. The Bible promises us that there's a day coming when each of us will have to stand in the presence of the Lord and give an account of our lives. And none of us, no matter how good we think we are, none of us has asbestos holiness. We all deserve to perish. Now Paul, in that same letter that we've been mentioning, he gives an account of his own life. And he says, I did everything. I had every advantage of birth, every advantage of education, every advantage of race. I did everything that could possibly be done in order to win favor with God. And it turns out all of that, well, his word for it is garbage. All of it was stinking, rotting garbage. So what is the solution? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The Bible passage that Tim read for us earlier said that despite our sin and unholiness, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Uh, That day in April was not the first time that I'd been in a cardiac unit in my life. When I was three years old, I was diagnosed with a a hole in my heart. That's how it's popularly called. Now, actually, quite a lot of people are born with a hole in the heart, but it seals up early in their life. But in my case, it didn't do that. Uh, And so at the age of three, I was diagnosed with that, and they said, well, we have to perform an operation. Now, I can tell you the operation today, it's, well, certainly routine. It can be done without... Open heart surgery and such like it can be done through inserting something up through the veins and and dealing with it that way. But when I was three, which is a long time ago now, that was not the case. And so I had to wait until I was six, big enough for the operation. And I was in hospital for uh, six weeks, I think. I had full open heart surgery. I have a stripe all the way down here and stitches all the way across. And um, the operation was a success. And the the whole was uh, dealt with, sorted out. Um, And uh, I was able to kind of carry on and go on. But if I hadn't had that operation, uh, I would have died probably in my later teens. And it turns out that actually I was very fortunate. Because had I been born five years earlier, I wouldn't have survived. I was very early on in them doing this operation. Uh, The doctor told me, uh, I remember, uh, uh, as uh, older, at an older age, I was the 56th person to have that done. Now, I don't know whether that's in the world or whether it's just in the UK, I don't know the details, but it was certainly very early. And had I been born five years earlier, I would not have survived and I would not be here uh, with you today. Well, when I was uh, obviously after that, I was going regularly for checkups for my heart. And when I was 18, I went with my mother to um, have a, a checkup. And a very young doctor came in, and he listened uh, both to uh, my heart from the back and then from the front. And he said, that's strange, and went straight out of the room. And you can imagine, that, imagine what my, my mother was thinking at that point. And he came back in with the specialist, and the specialist had a a listen for a while, and the specialist said, that is remarkable. Uh, Unless you have a trained ear, an experienced ear, you wouldn't be able to hear that you'd ever had anything done at all. And he said, uh, you know, you're you're completely free to go. We're not gonna check up on you anymore. And he said, um, in fact, he said, I'm gonna write a letter so that if ever you apply for insurance, in future, nobody can deny you insurance because uh, the, the job that's been done, just you're completely healthy. Your heart's twice the size it was when the operation was done, and it's completely healthy. Well, some years later, I, I heard that the surgeon who had performed that operation was no longer able to perform surgeries. And the reason was, of course, that he'd spent so many years bending over patients, that his back was completely gone. Uh, I'm guessing that it was uh, debilitating for his whole life, but he couldn't do any more surgeries because of, um, the, he'd sacrificed his own health for the health of all of those people uh, whose work, um, whose health he'd saved. He'd surrendered his health in exchange for the health of others. Health, life, if you like, was his gift to me. But it cost him his health in order to give me that gift. And in just a a small way, that's a picture, I think, of what the Bible says Jesus did on the cross. When Jesus died on a Roman cross... He did so to take the death sentence that you and I deserve for our sin. He was without sin, but he voluntarily took your sin and my sin on himself, and he bore the penalty which our sin deserves. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In Jesus, the price for our sin was paid he exchanged our sin for his holiness so that we could come into the presence of a holy god so that we could experience what the bible calls eternal life abundant everlasting life in the presence of god so the bible passage that we read earlier says god so loved the world That is where we stand today if we don't believe in Jesus. I said at the beginning that we tell the stories that we tell one another because they have meaning to us. They say something about who we are. Well, I'm telling you these two stories about my experiences in hospital because they give me a window into life and death as the Bible says they really are. Our lives are in God's hands and he has the right to demand an accounting of them from us today. At any moment. What we believe about Jesus will determine how that accounting goes. God in his love has made it possible through Jesus' sacrifice for us to experience eternal life. He does not want us to be distant from him he does not want us to perish whoever believes in his son shall not perish but have eternal life so where do you stand today if god were to ask for an accounting of your life today what would you say The Bible says there's only one answer that will suffice. I trust in Jesus. I put my faith in him and what he did for me on the cross. I believe in him. It's only on the basis of Jesus' sacrifice that Jesus suffered the penalty that we deserve for our sin that we can be forgiven. And be made holy so that we can come eternally into the presence of the Holy God. God so loved the world that he gave His one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Amen.
0: You've been listening to the First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. For more sermons and information about our church's services and programs, please visit firstbc.org.